From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. So here's a pretty crazy fact about the pet food industry. If pet food were a country, it would be the fifth largest consumer of meat in the world. This is Sandy Bospin, who makes pet food and doesn't want to hide what this industry can be. We want consumers to be aware of that. Because here's the thing. Many brands say they want to be sustainable, but sustainability, it isn't some button to push. It's a complicated series of decisions and sacrifices. And nobody knows that better than Sandy, who is the founder and CEO of Shine Pet Food. Sandy never intended to enter the pet business, but she also wasn't planning on getting a puppy the day that she pulled into a Starbucks and saw Marty jump out of a truck full of dogs for adoption. She says, I could not take him. Marty, the dog, had medical issues, so Sandy consulted experts to make his food by hand, and then that led her to start Marty's Meals, a pet food business in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which 12 years later has evolved into Shine. Shine makes fresh, organic, human-grade meals and aspires to change the pet food industry because feeding cats and dogs creates the equivalent of 64 million tons of carbon dioxide in greenhouse gases like methane a year. That's according to UCLA research. And that's about the same impact as driving 13.6 million cars. But cutting her carbon footprint required a lot of work. And a lot of cash. And that's the story that I want to tell you in this episode. Because Sandy gave us this really unique insight into what it takes to make a company truly sustainable. It requires thinking very thoroughly about every single decision that you make and then being open to how making, you know, what some might see as sacrifices and others might see as holding true to your values. Those kinds of decisions ultimately are going to drive other decisions and other ways in which you run your business. As you'll learn, for example, the costs of the raw materials, the costs of the meat that Sandy gets for her pet food, well, that drove a lot of the business model, which you'll hear a little bit. Now, let me just tell you, this story originated in our July-August issue of Entrepreneur, and it was originally reported by Liz Brody, contributing editor. So what I'm doing today here is actually uh, presenting some of Liz's reporting, and then I also got Sandy on the phone myself so that we could hear her voice on the podcast. I just found this this view into how to actually very methodically structure a business in the way that meets your mission and values to be just just a really insightful look at the realities of this kind of stuff. You know, this isn't just, oh, go fulfill your mission or, oh, go stand for something. This is, you got to make granular, really important business decisions that are going to work, that are going to make something sustainable in the sustainability sense, but also, of course, in a sustainable business sense. So that's what we're digging into today. It is Sandy just sharing with us in a really interesting granular way how the decisions that she made ultimately drove a mission-oriented business that also makes sense. Coming up after the break. Who doesn't want to do right by the planet? Well, one of the easiest ways is to use paper. 
And another is to choose products that come in paper-based packaging. Because paper comes from trees, a natural and renewable resource. And here in the U.S., private forest owners carefully maintain healthy forests and their habitats to provide our essential paper products. And those products can be recycled up to seven times. Thanks to innovative design solutions, everyday items from cosmetics to liquid detergents are now using paper-based packaging, making it easier than ever for consumers to do good for the planet. And the same goes for business owners. Choosing paper-based packaging materials is a great way to take the sustainable path forward that also gives back. So choose paper and help America's forests thrive. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com. All right, we're back. And today we are exploring how do you methodically, in a very logical and business-oriented way, make your business mission-oriented and really stick to it. And Sandy Bosbin, the founder and CEO of Shine Pet Food, is going to be our guide here as she talks through her own decisions and what we can learn from them. And we're going to break it down into four different problems, which we're going to talk through. So problem number one is sourcing materials. Problem number two is packaging. Problem number three was shipping. And problem number four is who do you take money from? And uh, well, let's just let's just go through it. This is what I did when I got in touch with Sandy. Is I just said, hey, let's just walk through these four because they're just they're really interesting. So let, let's start with well, raw materials. Thing is, most of the pet food industry's pollutants come from raising meat, and Sandy wanted to minimize that impact. And the solution, well, it would affect her entire business model. So starting locally, and you know we were small, so. I went to a lot of just local ranchers. I literally walked up and down the streets of some of the northern New Mexico towns where the farmers who sell at the markets raise their product to see if they would raise vegetables for us to, you know, just literally talking to people and and networking. My first beef supplier was my mechanic's father-in-law, you know, in northern New Mexico. So it started that way. And then as we got bigger and we were able to work with larger companies and and suppliers and ship things in, it it evolved into less just small local, which we still do whenever we can, into larger organic certified products and sourcing. It's really hard as a small rancher to get organic certified. So as we grew and, and I realized that the, the issue in the pet food industry, or one of the issues in the pet food industry is transparency, which then drove me to start looking into the non-GMO and the organic certification. So we started out with non-GMO and now we're strictly organic certification. But because of the documentation required, it really is a highly transparent product when you work with organic certification and third-party certification. So it morphed from small, small local ranchers to consortium of ranchers from around the country that are organic certified, different suppliers and growers of whether it's chicken or turkey or duck or our beef. So, and what isn't organic certified then over time, you know, we made, then I made relationships with different vendors were able to reach out and bring a lot more opportunities to us for product that's raised the way we want it to be raised. You know, our venison from New Zealand, for example, you know, wild-caught salmon, that kind of And this could add cost to the product. How did you think about, as you were looking for the suppliers that are meeting your standards, also thinking through what this is going to do to the ultimate price of the product? What was your approach there? So 
originally before I had a store, before we had our first store, we were selling, well, in part out of the back of my pickup truck directly to customers. But what I tried to do to get the product out to just even in Santa Fe was to sell through a couple of local retailers. And when I realized what the, because I, I went to several retailers and said, would you be interested in doing this? And they all were, they were all interested in carrying our product because there, there aren't many products like ours available. So it was very unique. So they were interested. What happened though, was that the price became, I didn't want our product to be on the market at the prices that it was on the market for because of the, the markup of the, the retailer, as well as us needing to make a profit. So what I realized was that we had to sell direct to customers in order to maintain the quality that we are, that we offer. So we did that. I pulled out of the the stores in Santa Fe. And at that point, when I realized that the product was in demand and we grew just by word of mouth, I then took out a small loan and built a a kitchen of our own and uh, in a small retail store. So we were in that location for about seven and a half years. But we literally had freezers in the parking lot because we, we grew out of that space pretty rapidly. Huh. So in other words, the decision on using these kinds of suppliers who are operating at these kinds of standards is going to raise the price on the meat that you're getting. And the price of the meat then therefore is going to raise the price of the product. And that in turn ultimately drove the way in which you get the product to the consumer because you're realizing that a regular retail channel is going to make your price way too expensive. And so it made you think about that you have to go to direct consumer both online and then you started to think about it in physical retail. Though That I think then leads us interestingly into the problem number two, which is that you started looking at okay, well, if we're going to ship this stuff, how are we going to ship it? And that is a whole other set of concerns about about sustainability. And so at first you were trying to sell it in Tupperware that people could return, but of course people didn't do that. That's the nut that nobody's been able to crack in, in, in sustainability is getting people to just reuse things. So instead, take me through the multiple solutions that you had to try before you got to where you are. Okay. So packaging wise, I wanted when we first started the Tupperware idea, as you said, fell through just because of the, it was just an untenable solution. And especially as we grew. So then we moved into, I wanted people to be able to see the product. So we used these plastic deli containers, but we started growing fairly rapidly. So I felt very uncomfortable with the amount of plastic that we were using. We had a recycling program. We did all kinds of things, but nonetheless, because of the percentage of plastic that's actually recycled. I felt very uncomfortable with that. So then we went to butcher paper and we wrapped the product in in butcher paper. So that worked well for years until we, several years until we got, and and we, of course, during this time, you know, we, we keep growing every year. So at some point it just became very difficult to teach people to package and butcher paper and have the product be consistent and look nice. So over time, as I was looking into different packaging, we started, I started out looking for like a cardboard ice cream container and I couldn't find anything that could stand up to our product, freezing, thawing, that sort of thing. So over time, that product, I did, was able to identify that product. So then we went to the cardboard, you know, 
sort of deli ice cream containers. So they're recyclable containers. Then we moved from a traditional label to a the, the label that we use today is stout, is a ground stone label. So it's if you you know live in a community where you can recycle or compost, that label then allows the entire package to be composted or or recycled. So that's where we where we've landed. We use as little plastic as possible. There are some, some things we need to use plastic for, but but that's how we landed. That's where we're at now with packaging, and it's a lot easier. It's a thon serve. It's easier to package. It's easy, you know, to package the product and easier for the consumer to use. I really love listening to Sandy talk through how the logic of one decision drove another decision. It's not like here she is trying to wedge sustainability into an existing model. Instead, she's building her model based off of the decisions that she's making about how to do things responsibly. So the company basically takes shape around those initial decisions. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the two other big decisions that Sandy had to make that have really driven, again, the evolution of this company and ultimately how it is able to continuously hold true to its values. Coming up after the break. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa business card in Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Once again, that's visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, we're back. So we have talked through sourcing materials and we have talked through packaging. And now let's get into shipping. All right, now you've figured out the shipping container issue. Now, how do you actually ship it to them? Now, I, I didn't realize this, that a big question in shipping a product like yours is the question of whether you ship the food frozen or freeze-dried because each yields totally different decisions as well as ecological cost. Tell me how you were weighing that. So I worked with the Pet Sustainability Coalition, of which we are a member, and they did a, I worked with an, a, a group that they are connected with that helped us determine what the carbon footprint is of from manufacturing to shipping, from the beginning to the end. So what we determined was that shipping a frozen product, even though the freeze-drying process consumes energy, it consumes a good amount of electricity, the transportation of shipping a a frozen product ends up tipping the balance. So it's actually a bit larger carbon footprint to ship a frozen product than it is to ship a freeze-dried product that can go ground. It doesn't have to go two-day with ice and packaging. And so you're not shipping that kind of weight around the country. So then I felt comfortable investing in a freeze dryer that made sense to us. So And that's a pretty popular, convenient form of offering the product. So so then we invested in a freeze dryer. So now we've, we ship 
frozen food as well as freeze-dried food. And once you have a freeze-dryer, is that an unusual thing for a company like yours to be investing in this kind of equipment? Well, a company our size, yes, it is. It's a lot of the larger pet food companies have multiple freeze-dryers. Some have dozens, but it was the biggest purchase we ever made, the biggest investment we ever made, but I felt it was important. Sandy, by the way, forgot to mention this in our interview, but she told it to Liz Brody in the original story. So just to note here, that freeze-dryer, it cost $400,000, so massive investment, but because she made that decision, in addition to that freeze dryer allowing Shine to really fulfill its 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 mission and how it felt it could act most responsibly, it also enabled the company to develop a new revenue stream because now Shine is able to freeze dry and co-pack for organic human food companies. So great way here in which this one decision, which may have been a little out of the ordinary for a pet food company of its size, actually enabled a whole bunch of great additional value for the company. And in order to get our product, when I decided to to do this national after looking into more extensive shipping, whether it's frozen or freeze-dried, I feel that we, I, the company, have a responsibility to have a product like this available and to educate the public about what goes into pet food and how the pet food, the environment. If pet food were a country, it would be the fifth largest consumer of meat in the world. So oh my gosh. That's very significant. So when you think about the impact of that on the planet and the health of the planet, I feel that the, the way it's possible to do it the way that we're doing it. And I think consumers, we want consumers to be aware of that. So let's talk about the last problem that you were facing. Well, <laughs> the last that we we're going to talk about, which was the capital to scale. Now, the challenge for a company like yours, you're so mission driven, is that not all investors are going to share that mission. And certainly if you take their money, you're now going to have a different set of expectations. So you thought, well, this is not the way in which I want to scale the business. So what is the other avenue for a company like yours? What did you ultimately do? So... It's a challenge to scale up without an investor. It's the way we maintain complete control over the quality of the product and the price of the product, but it is definitely a challenge. So what we do is we grow and then we invest what we can and we grow and we invest. It's it's a much more incremental, organic way to grow, but it's working. It just, it isn't so much about market share as it is about education and transparency and then people find us and it's it's working it's we're we're growing at just a, a different rate than if we were a market driven company but yeah it's you take on more personal debt you have more personal responsibility but you also have found partners in for example you got a manufacturing grant from the you know, from the city of Santa Fe right which so right. you can there are these other sources Correct. of support that you can find right exactly so thank you for bringing that up so we get we do have manufacturing grants from the state of New Mexico and the city of Santa Fe there's support for training manu and manufacturing jobs through a program called JTIP. So there are programs in place in New Mexico that help. We are, we will, as our next facility is being built, in part that will be supported by manufacturing grants as well. So there are ways to do it. There are ways to do it where, where you can get support and it's tremendously helpful. Sandy, as a final thought, for an entrepreneur who is setting out to build a company in any industry, 
What's your advice to them if they want to think about it more sustainably? You haven't just found one avenue in which you can lighten your carbon footprint. You have thought extremely holistically about how to do it throughout your entire supply chain. And I wonder what you've learned that maybe you tell entrepreneurs when they ask you for advice on how to go down a path like this. I think being a a purpose-driven business, it's a different level of commitment and motivation. And I, we have not veered from our values ever. And the more networking I do, the more people that we talk to, the more connections that I make, products show up, people show up. It's out there. It's available. It's possible. And I think not losing hope, not losing faith, not giving up because there, there is always a solution. We have not, I have not run across a problem for which we have not been able to find a solution. You just have to look a little bit harder and dig a little deeper. But if you really believe in what you're doing, you'll do it. It'll happen. I think it, it's an inner personal drive, I think, that, that really carries it, that really carries the business. And there's, there's support from out there somewhere. I think when we, when we make the effort to do something that is for the highest good, of every sentient being involved, I think that there is support from places that I can't identify, but I know are behind me. Well, Sandy, I really appreciate your time and your efforts and your your commitment to the mission. Thanks. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.